0: listening to the Save the Marriage podcast. Your marriage can be saved and strengthened if you have the right information. Join Dr. Lee Balcom as he explores ways for you to improve your relationship and your life starting right now. hey this is Lee Balcom. This is the Save the Marriage podcast, the podcast designed to help you save and improve your relationship. No matter where it is no, even at the beginning, Or if you find yourself in deep trouble, we're here to help you get to the marriage that you want. Now, for the last few weeks, I've been answering questions from different uh, listeners. And today I'm going to continue with that by talking about how people remember the past, but only remember the negative. You might have a spouse that seems to have forgotten all the happy times and seems to be unaware that at one point you had a good relationship. So today we're going to talk about why that happens and also how to turn that corner. So if you are interested in having me look at your question, remember I'm looking for questions that are following the Goldilocks principle. There are some people who ask such a broad question, like how do I save my marriage, that that, that's so broad it's hard for me to get in one podcast. And then there are those who are so specific that it only applies to their specific situation. In other words, it's really a coaching question that would be a great process To work with a coach. So on one end are the people who probably need to grab my Save the Marriage system. And then on the other end, those are the ones that are very broad. And then on the other hand are those that are so specific, they probably actually need to contact a coach, one of my coaches, and, and work through that process or even work through that with me. Okay, so today I'm actually answering two listeners' questions at the same time, which is great. That tells me that there are others who are going to be interested in this topic. So this topic is about the past. So Diane and Brittany, this comes from your material. I'm not going to read all of it, but Brittany, you said, uh, you you talked about how most of things are are kind of, you know, the spark seems to be gone and there is daily communication. And sometimes you you get through things and sometimes you get to a a conflict that you're trying to work through. And then you say, should I continue to do the things I'm doing and let it get better or can I do anything that would help him see the good? and how much better things could be and that our marriage is worth saving. I feel that he's only focusing on the negative and won't look at the good and how close we are at one point and how together or how close we were at one point and how together we could even get stronger. So any suggestions on that? And then uh, Diane wrote in and said, my spouse brings up my mistakes of the past. In other words, he's tied to the past very frequently, especially when things get tough. And so Uh, there are two pieces to this. One is that he continues to be very upset. The other is that uh, Diane doesn't feel like she has any support. So what these people are talking about is a negative remembering of the past. So let's talk first about why that even happens. Why do we always, let me say this more clearly, how do spouses in a marriage crisis always seem to be focused on the past in a negative way but more than that why do we as humans do that Uh, because that tends to be uh, kind of a interesting dynamic of humans here we are at uh, having made it this far and i can look back and go wow you know i'm so grateful for all the things i have and yet i can also go but also remember this tough time and this tough time and this tough time and that's often the case for all of us we can often get caught up in that but why is it that we do that some people feel like a spouse is rewriting history, only remembering the negative places and not remembering the positive places. The the real problem is that humans have what scientists call a negative bias. In other words, we're much more likely to recall the negative or look for the negative or think about the negative than to remember the positive or look for the positive or think about the positive. So just in general, humans have a negative bias, and there is a great reason for that. It's perfect if you want to survive. So think about our ancestors, right? And so they're going, wow, look at all this food I've got, not thinking about the coming winter. And so they're not preparing for that, right? And so if they're all caught up in how great things are and how perfect things are this day, things might sneak up on them. Or they might be going, wow, you know, it's really great weather today, but I got to remember the last time it was like this, we had a really bad storm afterwards. If they only think about the great weather today, they might not be preparing for the negative things to come, as opposed to someone who might be going, I think it's going to get bad weather. I think we might get hungry. And who's going to survive, right? It's it's kind of that the grasshopper and the ant thing, right? And who is going to be better prepared? The person who is concerned about what might come in a negative way. And so we have that. So let's talk about a couple of reasons why. Number one, we always have a tendency to remember the negative more than the positive for one very specific neurological reason. Negative requires more processing. Something positive comes along, you're like, oh, that's great, perfect. Something negative comes along and you think through, why did this happen? What do I need to do about it? How do I need to, to kind of look for this in the future? And so we process it. In fact, negative and positive emotions, or I'm sorry, or memories, or uh, remembering things, or, or having negative and positive things happen to you are actually even processed on different parts of your brain. So the part that is digging on the negative stuff spends a lot more time thinking about it, processing that, calculating that, and then sometimes ruminating on that, getting caught on that. You may have had that experience yourself or something bad happens and maybe it was a great day, but that one negative moment keeps you up, right? That one negative moment keeps you thinking about it. There's a great meme that goes around that says, you know, was it a terrible day or was it a terrible 15 minutes in an otherwise good day? So 15 minutes out of a whole day could have been all it takes for you to remember how bad it was. And so a lot of times scientists believe that we are much more able to remember the negative dips than ever notice the okay to positive points in in the day. We require that extra processing because we want to make sure we fully understand it. That's really a survival mechanism because what's negative needs our immediate attention to survive. If it's a great day, a beautiful day, everything's going well, it doesn't really require our attention. It doesn't require anything other than maybe a good nap or enjoying the day. That's all that's required. But if something's negative, we have to make sure that we understand the threat from that negativity. So our survival mechanism, just understand for all of us, our survival mechanism is built on noticing the negative way more than we ever notice the positive. Then there is another factor. And this is equally important because you could say, okay, but we both went through those bad times. Why is my spouse fixated on it? So first, I want to talk about mood congruence. And then I want to talk about second, the fact that you may also be thinking about that, but you've got a higher point to this. So what is mood congruence? When you are in a good mood There is a cascade of stuff going on in your body. One is a chemical reaction in your body. When you're in a bad mood, there's another cascade of chemical reactions. And whatever those chemical reactions, whatever our brain and our body is just one big chem lab that's responding to the different hormones and all the other pieces in our body. And because of that, when we get to a state that matches a past state, it's easier to recall that past state. You may have noticed this in life. You know, you may be talking to friends. Maybe you're talking about some good experience. You're at some great moment. Maybe you're at a great concert, and you're enjoying all the music and all the people around you, and you suddenly start remembering all the other great concerts you've been at. Because your mood is high, you remember those points. The same, conversely, is true. Maybe you're in the middle of a difficult time. Maybe you've gotten into yet another fight or another disagreement or your mood is down and suddenly you can remember all the other fights and disagreements and times when things were tough. We have mood congruence, which means that we also want to think that everything is kind of the way it's always been. So if I'm in a bad spot now, if I'm kind of in a depressed low mood now, I begin to remember everything through that low mood. If I'm in a high mood, I remember everything through that high mood. But more than that, the mood determines which ones I can more easily remember. When I'm at the the top of my game, I can remember all the good times. When I'm at the bottom of my game, I can remember all the bad times. And this includes the level of connection with a spouse. So when I'm really, really feeling close to my spouse, I can remember all the other times when we were really, really, really close. And it's very easy to do that. Sure, when I'm not remembering them very easily, I could be reminded of them, but I've got to be willing to. My mood's got to allow that information in to challenge me. If I am at a disconnected stage, what am I going to remember? The points of connection or the points of disconnection? The points where we were getting along or the times we were not getting along? So our mood First of all, determines which, which memories are easiest for us to recall. Second thing is our current mood is also how we read the other memories, which means that you may say to a spouse, don't you remember when we had a, such a great time on that vacation? To which they would say, yeah, but I also remember that last day, right? When we had that argument and it kind of killed the whole thing. They don't remember the other seven days of great time together. They remember that one moment. Why? Because they're at that mood and they're reading it back. So let's say that a spouse is feeling disconnected and in a low mood and frustrated with things. They're going to naturally remember the disconnected moments, the frustrating times, and the times when things weren't so good. That's a human propensity that's there automatically. We can fight that. Right? It's not that we are bound by that, but it's, it's kind of like it's easier to go down a hill than to run up a hill. It's easier just to roll with that. So if you're not trying to build towards something else, you're going to roll downhill towards the lower stuff. If you're wanting to fight and move upward, you're moving in a different direction with a different energy than what's currently in the mood structure between the two of you. So it's easy for us to remember that easy us to remember the negative times, the low moments, because of that mood congruence. So why is it affecting you? Because you've chosen a different path. You want to work on things. you want to get beyond that and because of that, you put energy into building towards something else. And so as you're putting energy into it, you're moving in a different direction. Your energy is moving in a different direction. Sure, you might be scared, you might be anxious but you're trying to get to something else. And so you're aware of those other moments. Now I did just mention anxiety and I just want to note that anxiety increases our negative focus. The problem is our negative focus also increases our anxiety. Depression, the same thing when we're depressed, feeling depressed. And I'm not talking about here particularly as a clinical thing, but as a mood piece, when we have a depressed mood, we tend to be a little more focused on the negative. When we are in an anxious place, we also tend to be focused on the negative. Remember, the reason for the anxious, why focus on the negative when you're anxious, simple. Anxiety feels like something's at threat, that we have to be more careful, we have to be more prepared, and so... We function from a different level at that point. The anxiety pushes us towards survival mode, which is a negative mode. We're looking for the threats at that point, not the good points. We look for the danger moments, not the great times. Okay, so just understand that biologically, neurologically, we have a tendency, a a, a bigger tendency towards the negative than the positive, The second thing is to recognize in that tendency, we also have a survival mechanism that's pulled in there and that we remember things through our current state and look backward, that mood congruence. More than that, if there's anxiety or depression involved, it ramps up how much we're going to be focused on the negative. So what are the implications then for working on saving your marriage? One of the big things that you want to be aware of is the difference of how praise and criticism are received and to be aware of that. The difference of how negative interactions and positive interactions are felt differently and be aware of that. John Gottman talks about the magic ratio of how many positive to how many negative interactions that we generally have when we're working on things. Five to one is what he says is kind of working on things. Five positive to each negative need to be a kind of a safety zone for couples in order for them to stay moving forward. Because remember that one stands out so heavily. So what does that mean for you? First of all, if you have, can look back and recognize that a tendency in the relationship has been criticism, whether you meant to be critical or not, if you can look back and say, yeah, there are times when I was critical. And most of us can look back and think about that, to be aware of that, and to make sure that we are much more on the positive side, on the praising side. When you're training, and I don't want to call your spouse an animal of any sort, but I just want to notice that there's a training behavior here. We reward behavior to get it to repeat. If you've ever tried to train a dog, it's hard to fuss a dog into following your command. It's much easier to train them positively, to give them a positive reward because they're doing the same thing. They want to avoid whatever that was that's negative, but they don't quite know what that is. And so all they do is reflect on being treated negatively. And same with the people, with kids, with a spouse, with friends, with anyone else. We want to make praise and reward the positive behavior that we like and sometimes even ignore the negative behavior because if we're fussing at the negative, in some points we're highlighting it, we're anchoring it because of that negative bias. So they will remember the criticism, but they won't necessarily remember it as something they need to change as much as a time when you were being attacking. So the first implication is to be very aware of the the ratio of your positive and your negative interactions, your praise and your criticism is one layer of that, but to be aware of how much it could feel negative to a spouse. Remember when you're delivering it, you may have the best of intentions, but it's still be felt negatively. If you're finding yourself constantly in conflict, remember that conflict is going to be experienced as a negative moment. No matter how you do it, it's going to be experienced as a negative moment. So you make sure that when you're doing it, you are as respectful and loving as you can be and that you are moving forward with that only when it is in service of the relationship, not because you're trying to get a spouse to change who they are, but because you want the relationship to go to a better direction. So number one, implication the ratio of positive to negative interactions, the ratio of praise versus criticism. The second one is you need to resist challenging their history. When they're recalling the negative, it's a tendency for us to want to correct that. And that's going to be a losing proposition. You'll never be able to correct it enough to get them to change their viewpoint. So as you're trying to uh, challenge their view of reality, all they're going to do is reinforce their view of reality. All they will be doing is pushing more and more into that reality, and that's going to keep you stuck. So don't give them a lot of room. You can say to them, you know, I don't remember that way. I do remember a lot more times that were great times for us together, and I'm sorry you feel that way, but I just don't remember it the same way. And leave it at that. You've now acknowledged that there is a difference of opinion. But what most people say is, oh, don't you remember? And they try to lay it out and the other person will then say, yeah, but, and they'll begin to dissect it down to the negative again. So resist challenging their reality. You're not going to change it that easily. The third implication is to outlast The best way to prove to somebody that you've changed is not to tell them about that change, but to continue to be the change. Recognize that there are times when somebody is not going to believe that you have fully changed and they're going to test you over and over and over again to see if the change is for real. Many times people weather the first few, but then they fall prey to that attempt Later on, they fall into the trap. And in the process, they prove their spouse right. And so when we proclaim that we are changing, the danger is we give a place for the spouse to look for where we haven't changed. So instead of talking about the change, be that change. Outlast their expectations that you have not really changed. You've got to make sure you've made the changes in order to get there. That's the important part. But the next thing is to not waste your time trying to convince them of the change as much as by showing them that change. And the last implication is remember to always address hurt. Remember that those negative feelings are tied to a sense of threat, which is tied to a sense of hurt. And so an important part of that is making sure that you are making amends when you recognize that you did something wrong, apologizing for that, being accountable for that, and making a change. When you do that, you're addressing their hurt. When you're working on your empathy, building your empathy so you're responding to their hurt rather than their anger, you'll find that it's much more productive to allow them to let that go. Sometimes many people just want to feel that there is a place of accountability for those moments in the past that hurt so much. You can get into a blame game of why don't they have to apologize for you, but you'll miss the opportunity of healing in the process and allowing the other person to keep moving forward. So when they focus on the negative, remember there are biological reasons for that. Don't try to talk them out of that. But as you're focusing on your changes, nail those changes down, make sure they are clear. Now, Brittany and Diane, if you don't have the system, it would be a great place to dig in um, and and make sure that you understand the dynamics behind what happens in a marriage, how it gets gets disconnected. That's the heart of the system. You can find that at savethemarriage.com. And one of the things that is true, both you, for you, Diane, and you, Brittany, and for anyone else right now, Is that we'll go ahead and give you a week of VIP, uh, which gives you a lot more tools. The VIP is the virtual intensive program, that's the virtual coaching program that allows you to ask some questions. That almost always I'm the one who's answering. Uh, We have a weekly conference call. That's a training call, a coaching call. We have tools in in there that help you build your plan and stay on track. In fact, I have. Uh, the Thrive Journal. My Thrive Journal is a tool that I've used with, coach- with clients for years to help them guide through the day, how to set up the day and how to end the day that helps you stay on task with the changes. I also have other pieces of information that will help you build your own personal foundations to make sure that you are as strong as you can in the midst of this process. So all you have to do is after you get the Save the Marriage system is when I offer it, accept the free week. Grab that for your week then because I don't offer it at any other time in the process. It's your chance to get it right then. And also make sure that on your download page, you request that get started the best start session with one of my coaches who will help get you going as best as they can so that you are as successful as you can be in this process. For everyone, the starting point, save marriage.com. Diane, Brittany, I hope this has been helpful for you. And figuring out how to map through the re remembering that happens when a couple uh, gets in trouble and a person begins to focus on the negative. This is Lee Balkum wishing you the best as you work to save your marriage. You've been listening to Save the Marriage Podcast. For more information and help, please visit us at SaveTheMarriage.com.